A week ago, if you were with us, um, you remember that we asked you to help us as we raised some, some funds for the students of Athens High School who are a part of this church and a part of our community. Every year they have something called Charity Week. Well, last week you gave almost $4,000, all of which has been given to those high school students so they can help to make our community better and so they can help to be a blessing to our, our world and especially to our community. And so once again, I am just overwhelmed with your generosity and your heart and, and your desire to love kids and love students and love people all in the name of Jesus. And so thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for helping us to bless this community and to be a blessing to our world. Now, um, today we are wrapping up our series that we've been in for these past several weeks called When God um, Goes Dark. And, and really, um, the, the whole reminder of this series, and it's, it's kind of staggering to me. Um, you, you know, many of you know that we plan these series so many, so many weeks in advance and um, that this particular weekend would be the weekend that we're wrapping this series up and what we're going to be talking about today in just a few moments in the section of scripture we're going to be looking at together. Um, but, but really this whole series has been a reminder, hopefully to you, just as it has been to, to each of us, to RJ and to Tony and myself, um, it's a reminder that when it feels like God, you know, doesn't care or he isn't aware or maybe just God, um, you know, isn't going to answer our prayer or, or that he's just not paying attention to what it is that we're dealing with, with in life. Um, hopefully this series has been a reminder to each of you, just like it has been to us, um, that those feelings uh, are absolutely normal. In fact, um, the pages of this book are, are filled with lives of, of people who've experienced those very same emotions, those very same feelings that, that you have. And those feelings don't mean that there's anything wrong with you. They, they don't mean that there's anything wrong with your faith. Um, and, and those experiences are certainly not things that you want to walk away from your faith over or walk away from your faith as a result of. Uh, in, in fact, in the words of, of Philip Yancey, who uh, is one of my favorite authors and who's written so many books on this aspect of faith, um, Philip Yancey says this. He says, the only thing worse than disappointment with God is disappointment without God. And so today, as we wrap up this series together, there's one more aspect of this whole dynamic, which again is just so incredible to me that we're talking about on this weekend. Um, and, and it's a question, it's a dynamic that, that um, I'm really looking forward to talking about with you. And I think it's best expressed in a question. Um, and, and this is a very, you've asked this question, and this is a little bit detached, right? This is a little emotionally neutral. Um, but you've seen something, you've heard something, you've experienced something, and you've thought, okay, so why doesn't God do something about that? And then MSU happens. Or Oxford happens. Or any one of a hundred other things happen in life. And all of a sudden, this very neutral question becomes exceedingly emotional. Because all of a sudden, this question becomes, okay, so why wouldn't a good God do something about that? And this is a highly, highly emotional question. For some of you, the truth is, um, the, the end of your faith began when you began asking this question, didn't it? For others of you, this question is the thing that's really kind of undermining um, or has undermined your faith either presently or in the, in the recent past. Um, because the truth is, once this question becomes a personal question for you, um, because of something you personally experienced, the, the truth is, it's very hard to get anything but this question 
out of your mind and out of your heart. And, and, and again, this is why every week in this series I've reminded you that um, when it feels like God has gone dark in your life personally, that is actually the best time to open up the pages of this book and look for someone in here whose life, whose circumstances, or whose situation is similar to, to your own. Because the truth is, you can actually hold on to your faith and you can actually hold on to your relationship with God without living in denial, knowing that there are, in fact, some things that you and I are going to experience in the course of this life that we will never understand, including why wouldn't a good God do something about that? And the truth is, this question is actually not an obstacle to having a relationship with God. It's not an obstacle to having faith in God. Because the truth is, at the very center of the gospel, what we discover is that the worst possible thing actually happened to the best possible person. Okay, and that is why, that's why we're always telling you, it's why I'm always telling you every week, to, we want you to read your Bible. It's why Autumn puts so much effort in every year to come up with a new way or a creative way to get you to read your Bible or listen to your Bible every single day. Because it's by listening to the pages or reading the pages of this book that you discover what it is that we're going to discover together today. Which is that Jesus was actually so concerned about this particular question that he decided to not simply teach about this question, he actually decided to create a situation in which he knew. He knew that not only would people ask, he knew his closest followers would ask the question, okay, so why wouldn't a good God do something about that? Now, one more thing before we jump into our, our text together this morning. Um, the, the event that we're going to look at today is, is so incredibly familiar, probably to all of you and probably to all of you who are watching at home right now, um, that as soon as we read the first line, you're immediately going to know the end of the story. So all I'm going to ask you to do is just kind of slow your brain down a little bit and not rush to the end as soon as we get started. Because I don't want you to miss the emotion and the tension and the drama that's in the pages of, of this story. And I want you to experience this the very same way that Jesus' followers experienced this when it first happened, having no idea how the situation would evolve eventually turn out. And like I said, there is so much drama in this and tension in this that if you're in a season of life or a situation right now where it feels like God has gone dark, I am telling you, you are in the pages and the verses of this story. It's John who begins this account in John chapter 11 by telling us this. He says, now a man named Lazarus was sick and he was from Bethany, which is about a day's journey away from Jerusalem, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Now, back in the first century, Mary was actually an incredibly common name uh, amongst women living in, in this part of the world. And so John goes on to tell us this Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was actually the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. Right? So in the first century when people heard this, they knew immediately, they were like, oh, we know exactly, right? We know exactly who it is that John is telling us about. And so Mary and Martha, these two sisters, they send word to Jesus because they don't want to leave their sick brother home alone for two days. They send word to Jesus and they say, Lord, the one that you love is sick. 
Now keep in mind that Mary and Martha send this message to Jesus knowing that they have seen Jesus stand outside in the hot sun day, you know, day after day, hour after hour, healing complete strangers, right? But now the one that he loves is sick. So what are Mary and Martha expecting Jesus to do in this moment? When he heard, when Jesus heard this, when he received this message, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, okay, this sickness will not end in death. But the fact of the matter was, Lazarus was already dead. He had actually died while the messengers were traveling to get to Jesus. But Jesus continues and says this to his disciples, no, no, it is actually for God's glory. Right, and see, here's the, the first part in the story where we kind of have to pause for a minute because apparently Jesus actually believed that bad things could happen to good people and not only do those situations not disprove the existence of God, instead Lazarus' death specifically would point to God's existence and not only God's existence but his glory when all that we as people in this world can feel is nothing more than pain and grief and loss. And then Jesus finishes this statement by saying this. He says, it is for God's glory so that, in other words, there's, there's, a, there's a purpose to all this, so that God's Son, right, so that Jesus may be glorified through it, right? And the it here is the sickness right now that's afflicting Lazarus. Now, again, this is really important. Don't miss this. This sickness is something that's happening in nature, right? This is something natural. This is not something that somebody else did. This is just like, okay, and, and you've thought this. You've heard about the earthquakes in, in Syria or Turkey and you, and, or other disasters, and, and you've thought, okay, why does it seem like, like nature is conspiring against us? Like, why does it seem like nature is our enemy at times? Why, why does it seem like everything in nature is out to get us, right? You, you've asked that question at some point, haven't you? And see, John, who was there, and he knows how this whole story is about to unfold, um, John makes sure and he, and he tells us um, something really, really important for us to understand in this story. Um, he says this. He says, Jesus actually loved Martha, and Jesus loved her sister Mary, and Jesus loved Lazarus as well. Now, we're only a couple of verses in, and John is already repeating himself. And it's like, okay, why in the world, John? We didn't forget. Like, so why are you telling us this? And it's because John knows that what happens next is actually going to make us think that Jesus doesn't love Mary, that he doesn't love Martha, and that he doesn't love Lazarus. And sometimes, right, and sometimes in your life and in my life, it can feel that way and it can look that way too. Can't it? And see, that's what makes this story so incredibly important. Because Jesus didn't simply just manufacture this event for the benefit of the people who were there that day. This is for you. And this is for me. And this is for all of us in our world today. John continues, when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, picture this, he actually stayed right where he was for two more days. Now, this made absolutely no sense because Jesus and the disciples, um, the disciples had actually seen Jesus many times rush off to go heal a complete stranger, right? Rush off to go heal a, a centurion, right? And yet he decides to stay right where he is when one of his closest friends is sick. 
And so the question is, what, obviously, the, the disciples are thinking, okay, Jesus, what's going on? And obviously, um, Jesus is up to something, right? Because the messengers come and they say to Jesus, hey, the one that you love is sick. And so the disciples all just kind of naturally stand up like, okay, obviously, we're going to Bethany. But Jesus looks at all of them and he says, okay, guys, have a seat, right? We're not going anywhere. And you felt that in your life, haven't you? Right? You've experienced that feeling, God help me, right? I need a job, God help me, my wife is sick, God help me, my son is sick, God help me, I'm sick, God help me, I need you to do something, I need you to do anything. God, I'll go to church more, I'll give more money, I'll be a missionary somewhere, God, I'll do anything you want me to do, just help me. Right, and nothing. Two days. Right? Two days go by. Jesus and the disciples, I mean, they're just literally hanging out doing nothing. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, okay, guys, let's go back to Judea. Right? And immediately the disciples are thinking to themselves, okay, this doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because the last time we were in Judea, things didn't go so well. So they do exactly what you do and what I do when we think that God has forgotten about us. They start reminding Jesus about what Jesus just experienced. And they say, Jesus, a short while ago, right? the Jews there, they tried to stone you. And so you want us to go back to Judea? Because the, the problem with being around somebody who, who's being stoned is that people aren't always accurate, right? And so the disciples realize that if Jesus' life is in danger, that means their lives are in danger. And so there's all this tension in, in the room. And then Jesus does what he always does in, in these kinds of situations. And he, he apparently changes the, the topic of, of conversation. And see, th these are the parts of the stories that I, I don't want you to miss because these are the parts no one would ever make up. Because right? they don't fit. They don't, they don't belong in, in the narrative. But it's in these moments that we experience Jesus bringing heaven to earth in the midst of a crisis. Because Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, okay, well, listen, aren't there not 12 hours of daylight? And the disciples are like, okay, Judea, Lazarus, Mary, Martha, Bethany, Daylight? Okay, you, you got this, Jesus, but Jesus just keeps on going. And he says, anyone who walks in the daytime will not stumble, for they see by this world's light. It's when a person walks at night that they stumble, for they have no light. See, Jesus is talking about opportunity. Right, Jesus is explaining to his disciples that, listen, when there's, the sun is up, there's actually an opportunity for you to do things. But when the sun goes down, you're going to lose that opportunity. And Jesus is saying, guys, you can stay here in, in Judea or stay here in Jerusalem if you want to. Um, but I'm not going to be here very long. And as soon as I leave, listen, I'm telling you, um, everything is going to get very, very dark again. But I actually want to give you a light that you will be able to carry with you through the rest of your lives. I want to give you a light, Jesus says, that's going to bring light into every moment of your life that it feels like God has gone dark. So while you have the opportunity, I want you to follow me to Judea. And I know you're afraid. And I know that you're worried about what might happen to you when you get there. But if you stay here out of fear, right, don't miss this. If you stay here out of fear, 
out of fear of what following me could cost you. Jesus says, I'm telling you, that fear, that fear will cause you to miss the opportunity of a lifetime. Because I'm about to bring some light into a situation that will change the way that people think about life and death forever. That's why we're going to Judea. John continues and he tells us that after Jesus said this, he went on to tell them, our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I'm going there to wake him up. And so the disciples replied, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get better. This is great news, Jesus. Lazarus is going to get better. We don't have to go to Judea, which means we're not going to die. This is awesome, right? But John is there, and he knows the disciples are completely clueless about what Jesus was saying. And so he reminds us after the fact. He tells us, listen, we had no idea that Jesus was speaking about Lazarus' death. We thought that Jesus was talking about natural sleep. And Jesus figured it out pretty quickly. And so he told us plainly, Lazarus is dead. What did you say, Jesus? You heard me. Lazarus is dead. Jesus, you know this and, and we've just been sitting here for two days? Jesus, you know this? And you want us to go back to Judea and risk our lives? See, and then Jesus goes on and, and he makes what is possibly the, the most um, insensitive, the most insensitive statement anywhere in, in the New Testament. Because Jesus looks into the eyes of his disciples and he says something that's so unbelievable. I'm telling you, nobody would ever make this up. Jesus looks at them and he says, and for your sake, I'm glad I was not there. Jesus says, I'm glad I was not there talking to the disciples, but also talking to you. And to you, and to you, and to me. For their sake, but also for the sake of every husband who's had to bury a wife. Every parent who's had to bury a child. Every friend who's had to bury a friend. And every wife who's had to bury a husband. Jesus said, it's for all of our sakes that he's glad he was not there. So that. Right? In other words, right, there's a purpose. There is a result. There, there's, a, there's, a, there's a result or a reason that comes from this. So that you may believe. And it's like, okay, time out, Jesus. Are you really saying, Jesus, are you really saying that our belief in you is so important to you that you would actually allow something bad to happen so that all of us who are here today can believe that you really are who you claim to be. Jesus, are you really saying that? And Jesus says, yes. Yes, absolutely. Your belief in me, Jesus says, is that important. And see, for some of us, 
that immediately turns our theology upside down, doesn't it? Because it means that Jesus has created a moment so that we could understand what it is that God is doing when it seems to us that God has gone dark and God has not done or is not doing that thing that we think God should be doing. And so John tells us on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, again, this is the, the part of the story where um, our, our familiarity with the story can cause us to kind of miss the emotion in the moment. Because for four days, that means that back in Bethany, Mary and Martha have been watching as their sick brother Lazarus dies. And so after they sent their desperate message to Jesus, I mean, you can pretty much guess what happened next because, because many of us have actually lived through this, right? They, 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 they sat there next to their beds, the bedside of their brother, wiping the set, sweat from his brow, telling Lazarus over and over again, Lazarus, don't worry, don't worry, we sent message for Jesus, Jesus will be here, Jesus will be here. Mary, you go stand out by the road and I'll stay here and I'll take care of our brother and then after a little while we'll, we'll switch, Right? We'll switch it. And you don't have to worry. Tell everybody, you don't have to worry because we called for Jesus. He'll be here. He'll be here. They waited and waited. No Jesus. They waited another two days. Still, no Jesus. And then Lazarus died. Still. No Jesus. And then these two sisters who did everything that they were told to do, everything that they knew to do, these two Jesus, sisters who felt alone and abandoned by Jesus, they prepared their brother's body for burial, having no idea that in just a few short weeks they would be doing the very same thing for Jesus. And they placed their brother's body into a tomb. And they rolled a stone over the entrance. And still, no Jesus. And isn't that where we live sometimes? Aren't those the emotions, the feelings, the thoughts that we struggle with at times? And yet the truth is, the truth is, our belief in Jesus is so important to Jesus, please do not miss this, that he created this moment so that 2,000 years later, you and I could carry hope into our future. So that no matter what we experience in the course of this life, in every area of life where we face fears and questions and doubts and adversity and pain, in every area of life that we could carry hope into our future. That's how important to Jesus, your faith in Jesus, your Savior, actually is. John tells us that Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem. And many Jews had come to Martha and to Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And so when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home. 
Now, admittedly, this is speculation on my part, but let me ask you a question here. Okay, so why is it that Mary stays home? Why doesn't Mary run out with Martha to meet Jesus? What is Mary feeling in this moment? That's right, I heard somebody say it, anger, isn't she? Absolutely she is. She is angry at Jesus. She is mad, right? Because she's thinking, okay, Jesus, you could have, you should have, and you didn't, right? She's thinking, Jesus, you don't love me. You don't love my family. Jesus, you love strangers, but you don't love us. Jesus, you, you, you love Romans, but, but you don't love my brother. Isn't that what Mary is thinking in this moment? But John tells us that Martha, right, Martha, she decides to go run out to Jesus and she actually says to Jesus, this is so amazing, she says to Jesus exactly what you would say, exactly what I would say if we were the ones in this situation. And this is so important for you to hear and to read. If you've ever said this yourself or maybe you've just thought this because you've actually been too afraid to say this to God yourself, Lord, um, Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Right? In other words, Jesus, this is your fault. Isn't it good to know that there is actually nothing wrong with your faith when something does not go your way? And Martha is just like us. Right? Even in the midst of her anger, even in the midst of her grief, even in the midst of her disappointment and her sadness, she is, she is trying to hold on to, to whatever bit of faith that she can muster. Right? And so she, she looks at Jesus and she says to Jesus, but I know, right? which think about this, means I, I believe, right? I trust, but I know, even now, even now, think about this, even now God will give you whatever you ask. I mean, picture this. Martha is looking at, at a man, right? Just a man, five foot eight, 150 pounds, 30 something years old. She's looking into the eyes of a man and she says to Jesus, listen, I, I know who you are. I, I know who you are and I know that God will give you Whatever you ask, Jesus, there are all kinds of things I don't understand right now, but, but I know who you are and I know that God will give you whatever you ask for. Jesus, that's why I called for you. And then Jesus responds to Martha and listen to this. Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answers, I know, I know, he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Right, Martha thinks that Jesus has switched into preacher mode, doesn't she? Right, like, okay, like he's just painting rainbows and unicorns on this whole thing. You've had this happen, right? You're, you're grieving something, you, you, lose, you, you lose a loved one, and someone comes up to you and they say, okay, you, you know, you really need to listen to this sermon or just remember what the Bible says, right? She thinks that that's what Jesus is doing. He's just trying to paint rainbows and unicorns on this whole situation. And Martha's like, okay, Jesus, I, I know my theology, okay, listen, but the whole reason I wanted you here is because I didn't want to have to wait until the last day. 
And I'm telling you, what comes next is absolutely astounding. But we miss it because we're not there. Right? And it's so easy to miss if we personally have never gone um, through the frustration or, or the agony of losing someone the way Mary and Martha have lost someone. Um, Jesus looks into the eyes of Martha and he says something that I'm telling you only a liar or a lunatic or the son of God would dare say to anyone in this situation. Because Jesus looks into the eyes of this confused, heartbroken woman who, who loved her brother and who thought she knew who Jesus was. And Jesus says to her exactly what he says to, to me and to you. Jesus looks at her and he says, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Martha, you think the resurrection is an event, and, and it is, right? You, you think the resurrection is about the, the future, and, and, and Martha, it is. But Martha, I am. Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. When you look at me, you are looking at resurrection. Martha, I didn't come here to give you a sermon. I'm not here to talk about theology. Martha, when you look at me, you are looking at life. Anyone who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives and believes in me, they will never die. And then Jesus asks Martha a question. It's the same question he asks you. Same question he asks me. It's a question that's so easy to believe when you're 6 years old or 12 years old. It gets a little harder to believe when you're 25 years old or 35 years old. It's a question that's difficult to believe. By the time you're 70 or 75 or when you lose a loved one or when you have to watch someone that you love deeply suffer greatly. Jesus looks into Martha's eyes and he says, do you believe this? Martha, with all you've been through, do, do you still, do you still believe this? Martha, do you still believe I am who you thought I was? Martha, do you still believe I am who you thought I was even though I did not do what you wanted me to do? This is amazing. Jesus creates this very, very specific situation, not only for Mary and Martha's faith, but for your faith and for mine. And so Martha, she musters up the little bit of faith that she has in this moment, and she looks at Jesus and she says, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I, I, I believe, but I don't understand. And I don't know why you weren't here sooner. But Jesus, I, I've seen too much. Jesus, I have experienced too much. And I get it, I, I get it. I, I understand, I don't have to understand everything to believe something. And so she says, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, that you are the Son of God who was to come into the world. And then John tells us that, that Martha, she, she runs back to the house. She tells Mary that Jesus is on her way. They, they switch. Mary runs out to the road um, to, to meet Jesus. They have basically the same conversation. And then John, um, John tells us that when Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, 
and then the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. He was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And I'm telling you what happens next. Even though Jesus knew exactly how this event was going to play out, even though Jesus knew exactly what was about to take place in these next few moments, I'm telling you what happens next tells you something about the heart of your heavenly Father. Because John tells us that in that moment, Jesus weeps. And it's in that moment that Jesus says to each of us, listen, I am not distant. I am not disinterested in in what's happening to you right now. I understand that when you suffer and when you experience pain and when you don't understand that you feel abandoned by God. And it's in this moment that Jesus leans into you individually, personally, and says, I know. I know. And the people who were there that day, who saw, I mean, just picture watching all of this take place. They say literally the same thing that you would say, what I would say. But some of them said, well, first they say, see how he loved him? But then some in the crowd actually said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Right? In other words, if he's God... And he's good? Why didn't he do something about that? Why did he let this bad thing happen? I'm telling you, this is incredible. And then John tells us, once more, deeply moved. And we've got to pause here for a minute. Um, This word that we translate here, deeply moved, um, the, the Greek word here is embryoni, okay, embryoni. Um, and, and it means, uh, it means to, to literally to snort in anger like a horse, okay. That's what it means. That's what the word means. So it, it, this understanding this changes drastically how you picture this event. Because if you've always pictured this event as Jesus walking towards Lazarus' tomb and he's just kind of quietly sobbing and, and sniffling to himself, that is not the picture that John is giving us. This is the second time he has used this very, very specific word. No, Jesus is indignant. Jesus is intensely angry. Jesus is walking to Lazarus' tomb, not quietly whimpering, but filled with anger and ready for a fight. Jesus is angry. So the question for us is, who in the world is he angry with? Because he's not angry with Mary and Martha, right? He's made that abundantly clear. John has made that abundantly clear. And he's just told us that he himself is God in verse 27. So he's not angry at God, right? He's not angry at himself. He's not acting like God is doing something unfair to this family. But he is mad. He is furiously mad. And he's ready for a fight. So who's he mad at? He's mad at death. That's right. He's mad at the enemy. He's mad at the one who is only here to steal and kill and destroy. And this is so important if you are in pain right now because it is easy to be mad at Jesus. But you need to know that Jesus is as mad as you are 
at the experience of pain and suffering at death that we experience in this world. In fact, he's fighting mad and he's ready to do something about it. And so John tells us that Jesus said, okay, take away the stone. Did I not tell you, Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believed, right, that is if you trust me, that if you lean on me with all of your weight and all of your fear, and if you lean on me with all of your anger and all of your disappointment and all of your frustration and all of those questions from those moments where it feels like God has gone dark in your life, did I not tell you that if you believe, you would see the glory of God? And it's like, okay, Jesus, are you really saying Jesus, are you saying that this whole thing, this whole event is so that we would know that when the enemy comes to steal and kill and rob from us, that you're not just going to sit around and let it happen? This whole thing is to let us know that eventually you will make it right and restore what has been stolen? And Jesus says, yes. Yes. That is exactly what this is about. So they took away the stone. And then Jesus said this. This is amazing. Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. But I said this for the benefit of the people who are standing here so that they believe that you sent me. In other words, Father, I know that this looks like it's about me. It's not really about me. It's actually about you so that they actually know how much you love them. Right? That's what this whole thing is about. When Jesus said this, he called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet still wrapped with strips of linen. There was a cloth around his face. And so Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Why did Jesus have to tell him to take off the grave clothes? Because everyone's like, I'm not going near that guy. He's been in there for four days. It's crazy. He was dead. I saw them bury him. John goes on and tells us, that many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did and they put their faith in Jesus, right? I bet they did. Because history tells us that what happened in Bethany that day, the news of that spread like wildfire because Jesus, he didn't just make somebody who was unconscious, you know, um, come wake up again. Jesus didn't just take somebody who, whose pulse was faint and, and bring that person back to life. No, this guy had been dead and buried in a tomb for four days. Right? So there is nothing that he can't do. And so here, here's the, the question for us, the reminder for every single one of us as we wrap up this series together today. Why doesn't God do something about that? Why doesn't God do something about that thing in my life or my family's life or, or my friend's life? And the answer is sometimes we don't know. But see, here's what we do know. Because of a day in Bethany, with Jesus and some people that Jesus loved very much, we know that he can. We know that sometimes he waits. And we also know that we can trust him even when we don't understand. And even when the person we love isn't healed. Because Jesus made all of us this promise. If you believe, 
right? If you believe that the proof of how God feels about you is the cross of Jesus and not your circumstances right now, if you believe that in the center of your story, no matter how broken your story is, stands a Savior with nail-scarred hands, if you believe that death could not keep Jesus in the grave, and so whatever it is you're up against, it's not going to win, if you believe that Jesus is the resurrection and the life, that whatever you're facing right now, the promise from your Savior to you is that you will see the glory of God. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, you are the only one. Father, you are the only one who knows all of the the grit and the emotion, all of the anxiety, the fear that we face because of our own lives, because of what we see happening in our world, because of what we have experienced through the life of a friend or a loved one. And so, Father, my, my prayer this morning very specifically is for that person, those people who are here, who are watching, and, and they, Father, they are just on the edge of kind of giving up. They are on the edge of giving in. They are on the edge of walking away and saying, okay, what's the point? Father, I pray that for every single person in that moment right now, that you would give them the faith they need to just trust you for one more day. That you would give them the faith they need to ask you to to somehow reveal yourself and your glory to them in in whatever situation, whatever circumstance they're facing right now. And Father, I I pray that for all of us, all of us who are here and especially for everyone who is personally experiencing the heartbreak and the tragedy that our community has just been through, I pray that you would remind us that as your followers, Jesus, we are never hopeless because you have come into this world to promise us and to give us hope no matter what we experience because only you are the one who can raise the dead and bring the dead back to life. And so Jesus, only you are the one that we trust in, only you are the one that we look to, and only you, Jesus, are the one that we can count on to carry us through all of these moments in our life. And Jesus, we pray all of this in your name.